Twas a month of December, and in homes all around, not a thing wasn't stirring. Busy chaos abounds. Demeanors of brashness flowed free without care in hopes that the other would treat them more fair. Whether in line or a meeting or digital post, angry comments and likes from those followed the most. When what to my world-wearied heart should appear but the kindness of Christmas, bringing love far and near. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday the same, be it listening or time spent, fan empathy's flame. To the day you grow old, from the day you can crawl, give away, give away kindness to all. The author is writing, his kindness so cheery, its power to wake and bring light to the weary. But lo, we must listen, and with him so exclaim, Merry kindness to all. Now to all show the same. Welcome, everybody, into the brand new year, 2022. Can you believe it? I hope you had a great Christmas, and I hope you were able to receive that gift, whatever it was you were hoping for, under your tree. Speaking about gifting, I read that at some point in about 67% of us, our lives, we will re-gift a gift to somebody else. That is, we'll receive a gift, maybe we don't like it, and... Uh, We'll give it to somebody else and act like we went out and spent the money on it. About 6% of us will get caught doing that, which can be a rather embarrassing. Hopefully, that's not your case. But let me ask you a question. Is re-gifting such a bad thing? I mean, if, for instance, somebody gave me $1,000 and I re-gifted that $1,000 to you, I doubt that you would complain a whole lot or think I was being kind of cheap. However... I went into my freezer and pulled out a fruitcake that my Aunt Martha gave me a year ago and wrapped it up and gave it to you, you might guess that uh, that gift is a re-gift to you. It depends on what the gift is, doesn't it? Well, I want to tell you about a gift that has been given to you to give to others. It is an awesome gift that God has given each one of us, and the beauty about this gift is that the more you give it away, the more that you actually receive. And the gift I'm talking about is this gift of kindness. I have saved the last message in our Christmas series, A Different Kind of Christmas, to actually begin our new year. And that's because I want to invite you, wherever you are, at one of our campuses, one of our venues, or watching us online from anywhere around the world, I want to invite you to partner with me in making a resolution of kindness that could lead to a revolution of kindness. Think about what it would be like this year if we all put our hearts and minds together and decided we're going to hold ourselves accountable and each other accountable to be kind. Imagine the change it would bring into your marriage or into your home with your family, with your children, or with your parents. Imagine the change you could bring at work with your boss, with your employees, with your peers. 
That's the change you could bring in your neighborhood or the change you could bring into our church. Kindness is powerful. It is one of the characteristics of love. And so since we've received God's love, we've received his kindness, and he's given us the opportunity to share that kindness with others. So we're going to get started, and let's define what kindness means by looking at four passages of Scripture. And uh, wherever you are right now, even by yourself, I'd like to ask you to speak these words aloud with me. Oftentimes, the Word of God is so much more powerful when we speak it. Here we go. First of all, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Let's read it aloud together. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Read aloud with me Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And finally, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let's read aloud together. And do everything with love. Now, all of these words support each other in these verses of Scripture. And they all speak of love, and they all speak of kindness, which, like I said, is an aspect of love. So if you put it all together, you get this beautiful definition of what kindness is that I want you to carry with you. I'm going to try to carry it with me into 2022. Simply this, kindness is love in action. Say it with me. Kindness is love in action. Not my love, not the love I produce, but it is the love of God that is produced in me and through me, and not just as individuals, but as a family and as a church, as the family of God as well. So wherever you are in the country or around the world, I want to challenge you to join me in acting out love through kindness. Will you do it? Let's make that resolution. Let's lead a revolution. Now, the question is, what does that look like? And to ask that question... We are going to look at a passage of Scripture that has one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, and he told many great stories. You don't even have to be a follower of Christ to have heard this story. It is a story about the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10. I don't have it on the monitor or the screen for you this weekend because it's a longer story, so I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, whether you have it on an electronic form or, you know, a paper Bible, or look it up later. But listen to these words. Luke chapter 10 begins at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. 
And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, the reason it says he's despised is because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They hated each other. Talk about racism and uh, talk about bigotry. They had nothing to do with each other. So the idea in this story of a Samaritan stopping uh, to help a, a Jew is, is profound. It was shocked uh, the readers and the listeners of Jesus' day. It says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he had the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time that I am here. Now Jesus asked, Which of these would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Well, the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Now, inherent in this passage of Scripture are three attitudes. And it's not so much like some have this attitude and others have a different kind of attitude. I think we all experience these, these attitudes in our, in our life at some point. It's just that at least with two of these attitudes, you want to get rid of them as quickly as possible, though you may have experienced them. You say, what attitudes are you talking about? Well, let's start, first of all, with um, uh, the journey. Uh, there is a road that goes between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, today it's called the Wadi Kilt, and it was the major thoroughfare in Jesus' day. So when Jesus tells this story, even though he's making the story up, the setting and the circumstances were very real. In fact, I've had an opportunity on several occasions to walk a portion of that ancient pathway. I want to show a picture of it to you because that is what will make it more profound. Notice that here is the pathway, all right, and the deep ravine that's down here on this side. It was uh, a narrow pathway that people would use, and normally people would walk up to Jerusalem or down to Jericho using this pathway, and they would do it in groups. You would not take this journey by yourself. The reason being that there were bandits and thieves and thugs who were hiding in the crevices or behind you know, large formations of boulders and rocks. And if they found a lone traveler, oftentimes they would mug that traveler and even kill them. So you always wanted to be with somebody. If you were on your own, well, you were taking your life into your own hands. It was a dangerous thing to do. And so down this road comes a priest who has been serving at the temple in Jerusalem. He's on his way home because many of the priests lived in Jericho in those days, so all of that would have made sense. And as he's coming down the pathway, he sees this uh, guy who has been left you know, to, to die on the side of the road. And as soon as he sees him, you get the sense that he looks away right away and uh, kind of pretends that he's not there. And he just kind of keeps walking along, hugging the wall, not looking at what's on the other side. 
And what we call that, all right, is an attitude of avoidance. We have an attitude of avoidance. If I don't see it, if I don't pay attention to it, then I'm okay. I don't have to worry about it. And, you know, there are people like that today. And, you know, we all have probably at some point in our life exercised the attitude of avoidance. We see something that's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't want it to mess with our lives, touch our lives, and we just pretend that it's not there. I was talking to somebody uh, recently, not from our church, uh, but in a different context, and I was trying to share with them uh, you know, the, the needs that are out there these days. And the response to me was, I don't want to hear any sad stories. I don't want to see any sad pictures. I don't watch the news. I got enough issues of my own. I don't want to hear about other people's issues. I'll just write you a check. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's not, it's not what I'm, I'm wanting to convey to you. If you don't see what's going on, if you don't know what's going on, you're never going to be moved to make a difference. I am so glad that Jesus didn't look at us and then turn the other way and avoid us. I'm so glad that as our high priest, he stopped on the way and saw our condition and was moved by that. So I hope as you go through life, you're not going through life with an attitude of avoidance, which to be honest with you, it's, it's hard these days because it's just hard to look at what's happening around us. And sometimes you get so fed up with it, you try to block it all out. But it's there, and God called you and me to make a difference. And the only way we can do that is if we're aware of what's around us. All right, now comes the temple assistant, okay? Now, you have a little more hope for this guy because it actually says that he sees, and, and at least for a moment, he appears to stop, but then he doesn't care. And he just goes on down the pathway. And we call that an attitude of apathy, an attitude of apathy. Oh, yep, there he is. Poor guy. I wonder if he's still alive or not. Well, I got I to gotta kind of keep moving on because I've got other things to do. Now, a friend of mine uh, that I went to school with uh, was visiting me just a couple of uh, weeks ago and uh, he was telling me about something that happened to him and his family. They were on their way to MSP from Red Wing, Minnesota, uh, to catch an early morning flight uh, for a much-needed and much-anticipated vacation. And he said, we left Red Wing in the wee hours of the morning, and he said we were, we were driving along, and uh, we were on a, a, a two-lane road uh, approaching a curve when suddenly I felt this crunching beneath my car. And he said, I slammed on the brakes, and I realized that ahead of me was this debris from an accident which had just occurred. It was actually a head-on collision between two drivers. One of the vehicles was rolled over and down in a ditch. The other one was mangled and off to the side. Now, my friend Tim and his family had a choice at that point. They could have just, you know, carefully and slowly kept moving on, believing that somebody coming behind that that may have more time would actually stop. Or Tim could have taken the attitude that a lot of people have today, and that is, if we stop, if we help, and something goes wrong, we could get sued. But uh, I know Tim, he loves the Lord, and he and his family stopped and got out of the car and called 911 and surveyed the damage. And finally, when the emergency personnel showed up, one of the persons had already died in the accident, and the other one was in very critical shape. The helicopters came in, 
And finally, when Tim and his family got back into their car, they were so shaken and in tears as they drove the rest of the way to MSP uh, to take off. What a hard way to stop or to start your vacation. But I'm so glad that he stopped. And you know, that's one of the things that I value so much about Jesus. If you ever, I don't know if you ever paid attention to it or not in the Bible, but Jesus stopped a lot. He'd be on his way to Jerusalem or on his way to Judea or on his way to Galilee or someplace, and, and he would see somebody or somebody would approach him and he would stop. He'd stop to deliver somebody who was possessed. He would stop to heal somebody who was sick. He would stop to touch somebody who had leprosy and make them well. He would stop to answer a hard question. He would you know, stop to feed somebody. He was always stopping. He always had time. And that takes us to the kind of attitude that Jesus is telling this man, he's telling the story to and telling us we need to have. And that is this attitude of kindness, this attitude of kindness. So what I want to do is I want to explore this attitude of kindness that we're supposed to have. And I want to do it by looking at the life of the Samaritan. Look what it says here in the passage. It says that a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, it says that he felt compassion for him. Now, what do you think it is that, that caused the Samaritan, who should have looked at this guy as his enemy, to have compassion? Perhaps instinctively, he knew what Jesus had taught. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and in the prophets. Or, you know, to put it a different way, we could say this. As followers of Christ, we're not allowed by Christ to treat others the way we wouldn't want to be treated. What I mean by that is this. If I don't want you to be angry at me, then I shouldn't be angry at you. If I don't want people gossiping about me, I shouldn't gossip about them. If I don't want people making fun of me and laughing at me, I shouldn't make fun or laugh at them. In other words, the way you would want to be treated is the way that you should always seek to treat others. You know, when we're really hurting, isn't it interesting that, that we want mercy? We want to experience that from people. I have benefited greatly at the mercy of people. I've had three anaphylactic reactions in my life. I have a very rare disorder. When I eat nuts and exercise in too close a proximity to each other, I have, I have an anaphylactic reaction. Uh, I've ended up in the hospital twice because of that. What a hard way to find out you've got this, this uh, rare issue in your life. And I want to tell you something. I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for the medical personnel who in those instances, you know, gave me the drugs that I needed to counteract that reaction and then stayed with me until the danger was over. I appreciate that so much. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because maybe you've had a heart attack or a stroke or maybe you were in an accident or some other kind of situation and, and you were at the mercy of others being compassionate towards you. And you so appreciate that when they cared for you. I so appreciate our medical professionals, doctors and, and nurses and, and uh, the emergency personnel that we have. They're good people. And oftentimes they possess such compassion 
That's what Christ wants us to be like. He wants us to be ready at a moment's notice to show kindness and compassion to people who are around us, to people who have needs that are around us. I love this passage of Scripture in the book of Proverbs. It says, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. There's a lot of cruelty in the world today, and we see this destructive pattern in people's lives. Let's not be part of that. There's even a lot of cruelty these days because of the pandemic and all that stuff. Even in the church, even amongst, quote, evangelicals, let's not be known for our harshness, our judgmentalism, our anger. Let us be known because we are the kindest people. Let's be the kindest church in the Twin Cities. You be the kindest family on your block, the kindest student at school, the kindest boss anybody's ever worked for, the kindest employee that anybody's worked alongside, the kindest church member that anybody's ever met, the kindest husband, child, wife. Make that your prayer to be the kindest that you can possibly be. That's what God wants you and me to be thinking about and praying about and doing this year to lead this revolution that I'm speaking of. Now, in this passage of Scripture, there are four actions that I'm going to ask you to join me in committing to this coming year that's going to help us now play out this kindness. Years ago, uh, I was part of many churches that uh, embarked on what was called 40 Days of Love or 40 Days of Community. Came out of uh, Rick Warren, a Saddleback Church. And uh, it was such a powerful series to go through. I want to borrow some of those principles that Rick's given me permission to share. They come right out of the text. I've tweaked them a little bit, but I think it's going to help us practice kindness. Here's the first one. Ready? Look for the needs of the people, here's where I tweaked it, who God places you around. Normally, you'd look at that and you'd think, look for the needs of people that God places around you. No, I want you to see yourself as God's instrument. He's actually placed you around those people. So who you work with, who you live next to, who's in your family, who rides the train or the bus with you, who flies the plane with you, the people that are around you are not there by accident. They're there because God wants you to influence them, and one of the most powerful ways that you can influence them is with acts of kindness. This guy sees the man on the side of the road, and he wants to reach out to him and help him because he has compassion on him. But here's the challenge. You ready for it? Here's the challenge. Hurry is the death of kindness. Did you get that? Hurry is the death of kindness, and we live in a very hurried world. We are all going someplace, getting someplace, having to get something done. And when you're in a hurry, you don't, you don't look, you don't stop to see what's going on around you. We make a lot of assumptions that everybody's okay, but I want to tell you something. People around us who look like they have it all together are just like us. They have hurts in their lives as well. Uh, years ago, when we moved to California, we had a little extra time to get there from Ohio, and we loaded up our car. The moving truck had already left, 
And my wife and our, our kids were begging me to, you know, stop in Yellowstone, stop in the Rockies, stop in the Sierra, see the wildlife, enjoy the views, because we really hadn't been out there before. And so I slowed down to about 70 miles an hour so they could enjoy it. All right, just kidding. All right, it was really hard for me to slow down. And the reason why is because I'm very mission-driven. I'm very goal-oriented. I'm very mission-accomplished. And it's like, I need to get out there. I need to get settled. I need to get in the ministry. I need to start my agenda. So <clears throat> I was not a lot of fun. We would stop, and I would just be like tapping my foot and impatient. Okay, you saw the moves, let's go. And a lot of us are that way in life. And when you're that way in life, you cannot, you cannot possibly be kind. So I'm going to ask you to join me this new year in, ready, slowing down, becoming aware of the needs that are around you, because that's why God puts you here, to accomplish the mission of ministering to those he's placed you and me around. Love this passage in Corinthians Paul writes, don't be concerned for your own good. Don't be just concerned about your own issues, in other words, but also for the good of others. Be concerned about others and their needs as well. Number two, all right, here we go. Learn to sympathize with the pain of others. Remember we talked about avoidance? We don't want to be avoiders. You've got to be willing to sympathize with the pain of others. You know, the Bible says we have a high priest who can, who can empathize with us. For he suffered like we suffered, though he knew no sin. And if I'm going to show kindness, there's a degree to which I have to sympathize with what's going on in other people's lives. This good Samaritan stops and there's, there's compassion there. It's like, he, it's like he's sympathizing with this poor guy. Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. And he says, weep with those who weep. Cry in others with those who cry. Galatians chapter 6, he writes this. He says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. In other words, Jesus says, look, I've got this rule for you. I want you to share in other people's burdens. I want you to be concerned for them. And the only way that's going to happen, right, is, if we, is if, we've got, if we slow down, if we look, and if we listen. And so there are two things I want to invite you to practice with me this coming year. And the first one is listen attentively, otherwise known as active listening. Literally dial into people, look at them, hear what they're saying to you, and go beyond hearing, feel what they're saying to you. And secondly, value appreciatively. In other words, let people know you actually care, that you value what they're feeling, what they're going through. You may not have ever gone through that yourself, but communicate to them that you really are interested in them and that you care about them. You know, when I first met my wife, Marcia, and we started dating, like I hung on her every word, okay? I looked intently at her. I just, it was all about her. I, I loved her. I valued her. And she felt that because I gave her so much attention. But I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but you know, after those first few dates, you keep dating a person. Have you noticed that your attention drifts away from them? And we tend to like get more focused on ourselves rather than on them. 
And then, you know, if you get married someday, the, the challenge is to keep alive that active listening, that, that valuing of that person. There's a, there's a sense in which we need to always be on a first date, right? There's a sense in which we need to approach people with a constant attitude of, I'm interested in you. I just met you. You're new. What's going on in your life? Tell me what's happening to you right now. So that they feel like they're the most important and not us. I don't know if you ever run into this or not, but I, I certainly have in my own life. Somebody starts telling you their troubles, and then pretty soon you try to tell them what your troubles are. Kind of like, you think you got it bad? Let me tell you about me. There were so many times when I've had the Holy Spirit tell me, you don't need to talk about yourself. It's not about you. You don't need to bring up what you've been through. If it's going to help them, maybe bring it up later on, but just let them tell you what's going on in their life. And you know, the other side of the coin too is sometimes we meet people and and we see what's going on in their life. We see the mess in their life. And I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes we start becoming judgmental about them. And we start thinking about, you know, where, why do they have these hang-ups? Why is their life so messed up? Why can't they make better decisions? I found these next two things so very helpful. And that is stop asking what's wrong with people when you meet them and there's problems. And instead, ask what happened to them. Do you see the difference? The first question, what's wrong with them, leads to judgment. The second question, what happened to them, leads to understanding and can lead to sympathy and empathy for them. Are you a what's wrong with them kind of person, or are you a step back for a moment, what happened to them that's led to this kind of behavior and has led to this kind of attitude in their life? All right, let's look at um, another Principle, when the opportunity presents itself, help. When the opportunity presents itself, please help. So the Samaritan sees uh, this Jew laying there, and he dismounts his donkey, and he actually decides to get involved and to help, which is a big risk, because now his back is exposed. And if there are robbers and thieves around, he might be the next one. Or maybe they're waiting to see who stops in order to attack them. So he takes this, he takes this great risk. Galatians chapter 6 says this. says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. You know, somebody has said, Christians are the only army that shoots their wounded. Ugh. Let's not do that. It starts with us loving and taking care of each other first and then ministering to the world around us. And I guess the thing that concerns me is that I think the world's been watching us as evangelicals fight with each other and attack each other, especially these last couple of years. And it's a pathetic, it's a horrible, it's, not even, it's, a, it's a terrible witness. And it causes people to say, I don't want to be involved in a church. Look how they treat each other. I don't need that. It's already hard enough out here. That's why we've got to become the kindest church in 2022. We've got to become the kindest people. It's one of the most powerful witness we have. Look what it says in the book of Proverbs. It says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. And, you know, Jesus is answering this question, who is my neighbor? And the answer is, it's anybody I come across even somebody politically or philosophically or morally who might be my enemy. Because Jesus says, what? Love your enemies. 
It's what Jesus did for you and me. We were his enemies, and he chose to love you, and he chose to love me. That's who he is, all right? Finally, number four, be willing to sacrifice whatever you can. This guy, I mean, uses his oil, uses his wine, probably rips up some of his own clothes to create the bandages, puts him on his donkey, takes him into Jericho, which was a big deal. Jericho is a Jewish town at that point. Here comes a Samaritan leading in a Jew who's been, you know, beat up and nearly half dead. It would have been easy in a, in a revenge culture that exists in those days for the Jews to attack this Samaritan and hold him accountable for what's been done to their friend. He goes to the inn. He pays for the guy's room and food and care, and he promises to come back and pay whatever else is owed. I mean, this guy really went, went far. He really dug deep, and he sacrificed in order for this man to be helped. I love what it says in the book of Proverbs again in chapter 19. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you have done it for me. One of the things I appreciate so much about our congregation at Whitdale Church is how generous you guys are to people here, near, and far. In the next several weeks, we're going to be sharing with you this vision that I believe God has for us in the coming years. We call it a legacy of hope. And I want to share with you how we believe God's calling us to express kindness to the next generation here, near, and far. Some tremendous ways. I, I believe that God's calling us to touch tens of thousands of lives with kindness in the next several years. And we're going to lay that out for you and culminate the end of January with a message where I'm going to just share with you, here's our plan that we think God's calling us to, and ask you to sacrificially become a part of it, not just with your resources, but with your time and talents. And I think as you hear about it, you're going to be so encouraged because it's going to touch your life and your family and your next generation, as well as those who are around us as well. So stay tuned for that. But I want to close with one of my favorite theologians, Charles Schultz, The Peanuts Strip. You probably have seen that comic strip. There is a scene, it's a Christmas scene, where Charlie Brown has his piggy bank and he breaks it open because he's going to go Christmas shopping for the people that he loves. And he counts out his money in there and there's $9.11. And he says to Lucy, he says, well, here's what I'm going to spend on everybody this year for Christmas. And Lucy says, there's not enough money there. And Charlie Brown says, well, I, I'm just going to make it work. There's, there's enough there. I'm going to use it to, to, to bless other people this Christmas. And Lucy looks at him and goes, well, then whatever you buy is going to be cheap. And Charlie Brown looks at her and says, not if it costs me everything I have. See, that's what makes a gift so valuable when it costs you everything you have. And ultimately, who is the good Samaritan? It's Jesus, isn't it? Who should have been our enemy because of our sinfulness, our unrighteousness. But who gave everything he had his whole life to reconcile us back into relationship with his father because 
He loves you and me so much. We have experienced the kindness of God this year. You may feel like you don't have a lot to give, a lot to spend in in terms of your time and talent and resources. That isn't what matters. What matters is the attitude. What matters is the desire to be kind. I love how Jesus closes this little story. Is how I want to close with you this weekend. After telling the story, he looked at the man and he said, now go and do the same. Will you do that with me in 2022? Let's pray. Father, help us, wherever we are in the world, to make a resolution of kindness that can lead to a revolution of kindness here, near, and far. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I want to share with you a resource that has been so helpful in the development of this series that we've just concluded. It's a book I would encourage you to get. It'll help you so much in this area of kindness. It'll help you make that change in your life. It is a book by Shanti Feldhan called The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. That would be well worth your money spent. I look forward to seeing you next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to start again in the Gospel of John, rejoining our series from Head to Leb. I'm going to talk to you about how God wants to satisfy your deepest longing. We'll see you then.